This is episode number eight on the Follow Your Flow podcast. So welcome back to the podcast. Here we are again. Thank you very much for joining me up to episode number eight. Can you believe it? And the feedback from all of you has been absolutely incredible. So I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you very much for your support. Thank you for listening, for commenting, for rating and reviewing over on Apple Podcasts. That's always a huge help to get this podcast out there and for sharing the podcast with people who you feel would benefit from all of these topics under the banner of women's health. The intention and the reason for the podcast is to share information and to share women's stories so that we're all very well equipped and informed about our choices when it comes to our health and well-being. So it is super cool that we can share in this way on this platform. I just love it. So in this episode, we are heading into a little bit of a different direction, moving on to the topic of pregnancy. Now, pregnancy is a significant experience in many women's lives, and I think the most would say that their lives were completely changed as a result of the experience. Now, I loved interviewing my next guest, Rebecca Poole, on her experience of pregnancy because she really challenges the norm by being very real and very open about where she was at and what she needed through her experience. She saw the pressures of society and from those around her and she learned to navigate this in a way, as you'll hear from her, that deepened her relationship with herself as a woman. So that then when parenting came along, she saw the importance of letting in support and getting out of this all too common mentality that I certainly know very well that we are in this on our own and that we have to just soldier on and just keep going. So she just blows this out of the water and gives us all permission to, as she says, raise the white flag and ask for help. I don't know how, how different my pregnancy and my experience of pregnancy would have been if I had allowed that for myself and maybe others are going to relate to this too. So this episode, for all of those who are not necessarily pregnant or looking to get pregnant, don't tune out because it's much more than just about pregnancy. This this episode's about life. It's about the richness of life that we can tap into if we so choose. And Rebecca very wisely and very gently and very generously gives us a little nudge to encourage us to settle for nothing less. So enjoy all that Rebecca has to share on this topic. Her lived experience is super, super valuable. And you'll also want to check out the show notes for links to Rebecca's website and her amazingly supportive courses for her business health healing life. All right. So as always, remember that the information in these podcasts is information. It's for informational purposes only. If you need to adjust your healthcare plan, just make sure that you check in with your health or medical practitioner first. Let's now head over to hear more from Rebecca. Enjoy. You're listening to Follow Your Flow. 
your podcast on all things women's health, menstruation, and fertility. Your host, fertility awareness educator, women's health practitioner, and lover of all things health and healing, brings her wealth of experience along with the real experiences of women and the expertise of health professionals. If you're looking for real and insightful conversations with real women, along with inspiring and lasting ways to improve your health, then you've come to the right place. Here's your host on Follow Your Flow, Sarah Harris. Welcome everyone to another episode of Follow Your Flow podcast. Today, I'm going to be interviewing a dear friend of mine, Rebecca. Rebecca runs her own business in complementary healthcare and also offers a number of courses, workshops and presentations, which hopefully she'll share about later in the podcast. Um, Is very active in the community in Brisbane, Australia, where she lives and runs her practice. As well as this, Rebecca lives with her immediate family, her two children and her husband, and also lives with her extended family. It's quite a unique household, and I'm sure we'll get to sharing more about that during the interview. And Rebecca is one of those people that you just want to listen to. You just want to stop and listen to when she starts talking. There's so much that she's inspired me with along the way, just in terms of my relationship with myself as a woman and also with my community as well. It's a real treat to have her on the show today so that more people have access to her and her very natural and innate wisdom. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. I think I'm speechless after that intro. That was beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. Do you have anything else that you want to add to this intro to let the listeners know a little bit more about you? Um, As I said, I think I'm speechless after that. Look, you know, I love what I do and I think that's the most important thing to really share with people and always happy to help. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, the topic of our um, podcast today is about pregnancy and we're going to be talking about the experience of pregnancy. So, Rebecca, you've been pregnant twice. You've given birth two times, two beautiful children. So you're super experienced in that regard just from personal experience. And then you've also worked with and supported many women, I'm sure, on a personal level as well as professionally. Yeah. So uh, so just to give people some background, for the last uh, 18 years, I've been running my own clinic, so a complementary uh, medicine clinic. And through that, I specialised in women's health for a period of time and also uh, pregnancy. And then, you know, when you then experience these things for yourself, it kind of changes everything for you. And I've really found that I suppose my clientele is really following me through my own my own life and my own experience. So, you know, when I was pregnant, I had a lot of pregnant women coming to me. And just after that time, I supported a lot of pregnant women, as I still do. But I'm definitely doing a lot of parenting stuff now in relationships. So yeah, it all sort of flows into into each other. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of pregnancy then, how uh, can you give us an overall picture of how your experience was with your two pregnancies? Mm. I mean, you can, you know, a lot of a lot of women when we talk about pregnancy, we always talk about the symptoms of pregnancy. Yeah. So we talk about um, you know, what the first say 12 weeks are like or the first trimester where a lot of people can have morning sickness and then we go into, you know, 
uh, maybe the different aches and pains or maybe we're feeling even feeling great in the second trimester or maybe we're talking about the kicks that we receive but I don't think that people really talk about their relationship with themselves and the energetic aspects of pregnancy enough even though everyone experiences them and I think too there's so many pressures that we're experiencing in this time because we're not only experiencing pressures from uh, other people and what they're expecting <laughs> when when you're having a baby so you know what your baby will mean to them whether they're relatives or you know great, going to be grandparents or friends of yours or you know there's or even your partner there's there's loads of different um I suppose, investments that other people have on the process that's happening in your body. But also there's lots of pressures of, there's, there's such a build-up to pregnancy. It's like your whole life, you've kind of in the back of your mind known that you might get pregnant one day. And along, along that time, you've built up this catalogue without even really understanding that you're doing it, but you've built up this catalogue of what pregnancy pregnancy will be like and if it's not like that sometimes that can cause problems for people as well yeah that was that was one of the questions i was going to ask you is do you think that having expectations about our experience of pregnancy is is a dangerous way to go or not dangerous but like you know does it cause problems down the track because it doesn't always go the way that we expect it to go actually very rarely would it go the way we thought it was going to yeah absolutely and um just to kind of share a bit, a bit, bit of a secret here, my husband's actually a trained midwife. So, um, you know, that in itself was an interesting experience. Wow. Yeah, going through pregnancy um, with my husband being a midwife. He, um, he wasn't working as a midwife at the time, but he had delivered hundreds of babies. And, um, and so, yeah, I suppose that's, that's a whole other unique aspect to my story. and. What was I going to say? Expectations. Yeah, it was interesting because he he always used to say that the women that had the most strict birth plans and the most um, most fixed ideas about what they wanted tended to be the ones that had the most problems. So that's just a tip out there for anyone listening that's just about to write a birth plan. Um, yeah, and I wonder if that's also there is a lot of focus during pregnancy on the birth, and I wonder if. If women, you know, miss miss something about the experience of pregnancy because of um, there is such a big focus. Oh, absolutely! And you know, just to go back to my husband again, I um, I actually was talking to a, to a friend over email, and I just said, "Oh, that's so great! The infinite wisdom of my husband, you know, strikes again." And she just she just responded back, "Oh my God, I've never heard someone say the infinite wisdom of their husband." So <laughs> I'm 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 breaking the rules here. Um, but what he used to say is that it's like, it's like a wedding, you know, people often focus so much on the wedding and they don't have a focus on the marriage. It's like everything's focused towards this one day of the wedding. And it's a little bit like that with birth as well. You know, there's not necessarily the same focus on, oh, wow, this is like parenthood now for a, a long time. And you know, the focus can sometimes be too skewed towards, um, yeah, the birth. 
So I think that's interesting. But I agree with you because there's so much richness in pregnancy, which I'm sure we'll talk about more today, but there's so much richness in pregnancy. And sometimes, you know, we can focus on birth. We we have such an outcome-focused society that I think it's quite common and quite natural for people to kind of focus on outcomes rather than the experience. Yeah, and I think I think the focus on the outcome for many women who have planned a pregnancy comes even before pregnancy, before you know they've conceived, you know, the outcome of the Completely. baby, you know, has been set up for a long time, so it's kind of like trying to get to this end point and then missing like you say the richness of the experience and can you can you tell the listeners what you mean by that? What do you mean by um, the richness of the experience of pregnancy? Yeah, and I mean, be- before I go into that, I think there's a richness in life that gets missed. And, you know, I, I certainly don't want to make pregnancy this uh, extra special thing that's separate from you as a person because it's not. Mm-hmm. But there is a deepening on offer that that's there um, for you in pregnancy. But I would say, you know, if, if listeners are out there and they're thinking of conceiving and, you know, you start now with the richness because the more you have that connection with yourself, the more you're able to feel and be present with experiences, the more you, the richness you can feel during your pregnancy. I mean, for me, the first 12 weeks didn't feel very rich. (laughs) 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 I I tell people I'd rather go through labor again than um, morning sickness. And I didn't have awful morning sickness. Like I never actually vomited or, or, or anything like that. But I just find it's a slow torture because, you know, I'm so used to feeling vital and healthy and alive that you know, that six sort of week period for me between, um, you know, week six and week 12, where I had like no energy and I just felt nauseous all the time. And, you know, I'd do, do funny little things like I'd be driving home from work and um, I'd just sit in my car outside the house and I'd call my husband and say, let me know when dinner's ready because I cannot come into the house <laughs> and smell food because I knew I needed to eat. So mm-hmm. I would sit in the car and then as soon as dinner would be ready, I would go in. I'd try not to smell. I'd just eat and then I'd head straight down to the bedroom <laughs> where I couldn't smell any food. Oh, so, yeah. So it, I just, it was, and then when you have your second child, I had a one-year-old and I was pregnant. So it's just, it's another level of um, just, I don't even know what to call it. And, um, you know, I remember one day I was just so tired and I decided to lay on the floor because my, my son, my first child, he's, he was, he's one of those into everything children walking at like nine and a half months and could climb on the kitchen table by 12 months. So we were, we were constantly childproofing our house just so that I didn't have to watch him all the time. So I ended up moving the couch so that it blocked off the lounge room and kind of created this big playpen and I put myself in the middle of it on the floor and had to sleep, yeah, and then I actually woke up and he'd put like a blanket on me. I think I'd woken up halfway through and was like, can you get me a blanket? And then I didn't, I woke up and I'm like, what's this blanket? Oh, my God. So, yeah, all these little funny things that you do because you just – trying to get through each day and by the end of it sometimes you can lose that 
for me, I just felt a little bit like I'd lost that sense of self because I'd, I'd known myself so much by that vitality and often how much you do. It's mm. kind of a bit of a stop in that moment because you're, you're no longer able to define yourself by what you do. You have to, I suppose, search a little bit deeper to start to know yourself um, by, you know, like we said, not outcomes and not what you do, but this sense of self. So, mm. yeah, you, you're really forced to stop and feel what's happening in your body. Absolutely. And super sensitive too. Like it's like a sensitive sensitivity meter just goes through the roof. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's really interesting in my first pregnancy, I was also aware of just these different thoughts I was having that were uh, different to what I thought I would have. I, um, you know, we had planned pregnancies and before our first child, we'd, we'd been actively trying for six months. And so when we were pregnant, we were really happy when we were pregnant, <laughs> when we were pregnant, I was really happy. But then I just, I started to have all these thoughts come in about why me? And, and I was like, well, where's that coming from? Like, I didn't, I don't even, I didn't even know where it was coming from. And I started to have these dreams. And then this is going to sound really weird. And maybe, I don't know if this is a bit personal, but hey, that's how I roll. <laughs> but, um, you know, I started to have these dreams where I was, um, I was at a football game and I was no longer able to play football. And, and those who know me and know my background, I grew up in a cane, on a cane farm in North Queensland in Australia. I had a very, I was very boyish growing up. I played a lot of sport and, you know, I would call myself a tomboy. And so even though I had come a long way and matured as a woman by the time I had my first child and I'd helped a lot of other women with women's health stuff and there was still this part of me that was resisting the deepening and the sensitivity and the preciousness that was happening with my body because I had always prided myself on the rough and tumble type person. So that that's how, you know, I suppose I was really being spoken to in that mm-hmm. early part of my pregnancy. I was I was realizing that this new stage in my life was asking me to deepen as a woman and to let go of the, you know, safety and the protection that I'd held to do with being tough and to being, you know, physically capable and start to understand and redefine myself, um, which which now I, you know, I value my wisdom. As a mother, I think the most, most valuable thing that we can offer our whole family and extended family but our children is is that insight and is that awareness and is that wisdom and I, I call it like the the inner pulse you know where where this pulse in a family rather than I see so many mothers they become the glue of a family and they they their whole every day is to just keep everything together and that's you know, that's a stretch that our bodies can't handle for very long. And certainly it will also, you know, it it will also create a lot of stress as well. And it's a huge amount of pressure and it's, it's not asking, essentially it doesn't ask people to step into their own potential and, and to be responsible themselves. And I just think as mothers, we've got so much to offer through that pulse and through that consistent pulse and that insight and that wisdom. And, and that was really the shift that was taking place for me in that first 12 weeks or first, you know, that 
six weeks to 12 weeks in pregnancy, I was really having to let go of all of that hardness and everything that kept me in a momentum and stopped me from being the pulse. And, um, you know, I think that's probably a really important aspect that people don't understand of the first trimester where you're, you're really being asked to shed everything that is no longer supportive for you in this next phase of your life. And you're being asked to accept a deeper quality within yourself. And, you know, I love the body so much because it communicates so much to us. And, you know, when we're, when we're feeling nauseous, it's, it's really easy to understand what that actually means because really our body's telling us that we're having trouble stomaching something, we're having trouble accepting something. And for me in that, that first stage of my first pregnancy, I was, I was really still struggling and, and it wasn't something I thought I would struggle with because I thought I'd come a long way, but I was still really struggling with, you know, deepening to that, that wise woman and knowing myself, knowing myself from that place. So this is, this is amazing advice for women or even just having this awareness because there's so much struggle around that particular part of the pregnancy and there's a real fight and resentment that can happen when, when women are experiencing those kinds of symptoms because it's just like, you know, why me? You know, why, why am I feeling this way? Like, you know, you have women who say, oh, it's a breeze, you know, everything's great. But then a lot of women will be, you know, really resenting their bodies and not in, enjoying, obviously it's not enjoyable, but there's, there's something of value that, that I'm hearing you talk about that is hugely beneficial for not only themselves, um, but also the ongoing experience of pregnancy and beyond that. Oh, it's so valuable. And I'm so glad you used the word resentment because that that was definitely a experience I didn't expect to to have. And I think there's a lot of shame around using the word resentment when it comes to parenting and being a mother. I, I know that in you know, in the early years of, of having children, I did feel a lot of resentment and because it did disrupt my life a lot. And I know, like, we, I know, I knew that was going to happen, but not in the way that it did happen. And, you know, you can't, you can't control those feelings and they're definitely there to explore. And, and for me, you know, I, I learned a lot from not judging those feelings and actually allowing them to be explored and understand why I was feeling resentful. And, you know, I think a lot of the time people feel resentful because the way that society's set up really doesn't support us as a parent nowadays. You know, we're very isolated and we get we get sold this picture that we should be able to bring up our children by ourselves or with our partner and yes. that and that there's something wrong with us if we can't do that and that it's our responsibility and we're actually being lazy or we're shirking our responsibility if we ask for help from other people and i just think that's a travesty i just think that is so terrible that so many women think that and so many people think that and perpetuate that as a as a ideal or as as of something of value when like for me you know that resentment that i felt in as an as with young children 
because it just wasn't something I was prepared for and I didn't expect to not be prepared for that because I'd had lots of kids around me when I was growing up. I was a, I was the oldest cousin. You know, I had family next door. I had had I was 10 when my auntie next door had children, so I you know, I'd done all sorts of things, but by the time I was 28 and had my first child, I, I I think I was more prepared when I was 10 to be nurturing than by the time I was <laughs> 28. And I'd had a business for eight years. I'd, you know, played a heap of competitive sport. I was really probably more driven. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't even feel like I had really well-developed self-care skills, let alone then to care for someone else. Like I, I I, it was a real culture shock for me. And, um, you know, one of the things that I learned early on was to put up the white flag. So I, I would just put up the white flag and just surrender and go, do you know what? I, I can't do this. You know, I, I'm, I'm seriously struggling here. And it was just, I'm so grateful that that was a mastery I had. And I call it a mastery, you know, the mastery of being able to to put up the white flag and say, you know what, surrender, I'm out. I have, I, I can't do this in the way that I'm doing it. And many times, I, I would have that little feeling for myself, or I'd say, all right, you know, what's that saying? All cards on the table, or you know, you just lay everything out, and something has to change. And it was such, it was such a strength of mine to have that there for me throughout the early parenting years because any time that I started to feel overwhelmed or I started to feel like I wasn't being able to bring the quality of care to my children that I would like, um, which would happen, my husband was a shift worker, you know, you have a one-year-old and you have a newborn baby, it's really difficult at five o'clock in the afternoon, like, you know, your baby's wanting to feed constantly to prepare for bed. Your one-year-old's, you know, well, he was you know, coming up to two, but still a one-year-old. And he was done by that time of day. And, you know, he's got to be fed. He's got to be bathed. Got to try and put him to bed while breastfeeding. You just like, you physically can't do it. And I remember one time I'm there breastfeeding on the couch and it was one of these moments, these white flag moments. I'm breastfeeding my daughter on the couch and my son's naked running around. Can't remember if it was before a bath or after a bath, but it was in that transition. And he squats down and starts to do a poo on the lounge room floor. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> it's just one of those moments. And knowing my son, and he is the most gorgeous boy, but he is into life. I'm like, chances are he's going to start playing with that soon. So, <laughs> I'm, so I'm like, okay, so I put my baby down, um, you know, go get him, clean him up, clean up the mess, baby's cr- crying, then he's crying, you know, and I, and I just went, do you know what? One child is going to always be crying at this time of night because really they were both needing one-on-one attention just for where they were at and what was going on and I couldn't give it to them and I just had this feeling of, you know, this isn't the quality that I wanted to be offering, you know, care to my children in with, without judgment. I, it was just, a, this isn't it. So I just went, right, something's got to change here. And I, um, 
I decided from then that to the best of my ability, I'm not going to be left at home alone (laughs) with the two children at that time of day again. And, you know, that wasn't easy because I don't have, um, you know, my family still live up north. Um, My husband's mum was and dad are there an hour and a half drive away. So we didn't have that actual extended family right right with us. But um, what what I decided to do was I had a look at my husband's diary and I'd find out the days that he wasn't home at night. And then I would call friends and you know, friends that I knew either didn't have kids or, you know, had quite full on working lives. And I would say to them, hey, you know, Tuesday night, I'll cook you dinner. And um, can you just help me like bath Samuel and put him to bed and let me, you know, that way I can breastfeed um, my daughter, uh, you know, while that happens. And for them, it's a novelty. And, you know, for them, it's this, this opportunity to build a relationship with your with my kids which you know is so beautiful and so valuable for everyone and it's like this win-win situation when we bring to life community um, within our life and you know for them my friends they would you know be they'd catch the train home from work and come straight to my place and you know have a meal cooked for them rather than maybe going home to you know to cook dinner for themselves and it just really enriched their life as well and oh my god did it enrich my life so <laughs> I just became a master at, at at connecting people and bringing people into our life and um yeah and it's really continued from there I see the value I really see the value in my children having these relationships with other people and I don't have to be everything for my children. And, um, you know, I certainly know the value I give them and I, I, I really feel they chose me for a reason, but there's such other richness that can come from their relationships with other, other people. So, Yeah, that's, that's one of the, the standout things that I have been so inspired by you about like with your just the community that you've built around you and the support network that you have is very very beautiful and it's not the the I guess normal um, even though it probably is actually normal but it's not the normal way that we kind of live in society today and to the point where you actually have now extended family living with you yeah absolutely like I I would say that it's natural. Uh, even though it can be uncomfortable in the beginning when you start to let people in, but it is our most natural way to live within family and within community. Mm. Um, but it's definitely not common, not you know, not in Australia, not not in a lot of places in the world. It's no longer common. Whereas it used to be how it was done. You know, mm. it was people would think that we're crazy not not having that that extended family type situation or life and you know I think the one of the beautiful things about what I represent for women is that I haven't done it with my actual relatives I haven't done it with my actual extended blood family because you know that can be quite difficult for a lot of people especially in Australia because we do have a culture of of moving you know it's quite common for people to move away from their hometown 
and live in quite separate places. Like, you know, I live in Brisbane. That's, I think, close to 2,000 kilometres away from my my family. And, um, you know, and as I said before, my husband's family is an hour and a half drive away. So although, you know, my mother-in-law helped us a lot and, and she would come and stay overnight once a week so that I could go back to work, which was really just so beautiful. On a day-to-day basis, I really had to challenge my idea of family and really allow people in based on connection and what what just felt true for all of us. And so we, um, you know, before we had kids, my husband and I would, you know, we had our own place. We, the only person that ever lived with us was my younger sister lived with us for, I don't know, six weeks while she was in between places. And, um, we, we used to look at people that lived with like adults, um, married couples that lived with other people in share house type arrangements as like just bizarre. Like my husband had someone at his work that decided to buy a house with another couple. So there were two couples buying a house together. And I remember us, I distinctly remember us going, oh my God, that is so weird. Like we couldn't live with anyone. Like that's just, that's bizarre. Like, you know, and at that stage we, our house was much more of a bunker. You know, I think a lot of people live with their house as a bunker. It's like they take a breath leave the house, go out into the world, come back, take another breath, you know? And it's like, <laughs> it's like their, their safety net. And, and I certainly lived like that for a period of time. You know, in the early years of my business, I felt really stressed and I felt like staff were always, you know, asking me for, I just had too many questions and I just felt like there was too many things at me and I'd go home and just want to not talk to anyone, you know, watch, watch, DVDs back in those days before people had Netflix and, you know, I just, it would watch sport like, you know, all day and that's all I would do. And then I'd prepare myself to go back out into the world. And I think that's so sad, but I remember what that was like for me to, to live like that. And so I just thought living with people would be just the furthest thing that we'd want to do. But, you know, when we, when I had this process of of having children and needing to really like put the white flag up and let people into my life, I started to understand the value of community and I started to become more open within my life and my household and our house started to become more a place where lots of people came to, which was very different to how it was before we had kids. And so, you know, I I started to being a businesswoman and always having that you know, that, that aspect in my life, I, I used those skills in motherhood and, um, you know, and I always outsourced cleaning and, but it wasn't just getting someone to do my cleaning. It was bringing someone into my family. And, and, you know, sometimes that would be someone I already knew and they were a friend and, and we really built that relationship. And sometimes they were, you know, young girls backpacking from France that would be our cleaner for five months, but we, we still stay in contact with them now you know, in eight years time. And it's just, it's beautiful. So I started to see the value of having, having people support us. And I started to get, um, started to get, I started to bring young, young girls into my life that really could benefit from being around me as a role model, but also that, and I could support them to grow, but also that they could help me out enormously with, 
just that extra set of hands, say, you know, at that five o'clock time or or during the day, which allowed me to, you know, keep my business alive and, and go back to work and, and do the things that really enriched me as a person. And then I could bring them back to my family. So we we did that for a while. And when it was time for us to to build our own house, which we wanted to do, one of the 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 values that I brought into that process was I really wanted to be able to live with other people. I really, you know, I valued myself growing up having my auntie living next door and, you know, in a lot of ways having a second mum. And I really valued that in my own childhood. And I also knew what my husband and I could offer other people by way of uh, being a role model of the type of relationship we had built and and the the way that we were um, th- that we were approaching parenting that I felt was really valuable for other people to learn from an experience. So we, when we built a house, we 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 had that as a value in mind, and so you know we built a an ensuited room for someone to be able to live with us, and also a spare bedroom. And initially, we um we had a very dear friend of ours move in with us. And in the ensuite room and in the other room, we, we got an au pair. And it was such a great experience. Um, for about two years, we had au pairs, which we still have connections with, with them and we will for the rest of our life. And it was that next level, you know, living with people um, as an adult can be challenging, let alone when you are married and then you also have children. And so it's been such an amazing experience. And for nearly four years, we've lived with our dear friend who is godmother to our children now. And, you know, completely her and her partner are like auntie and uncle. Our kids love them to bits. So, you know, we've had those discussions with our kids about that if if something was to happen to us, then, you know, their godmother, godfather would look after them. They are like so at ease with the possibility of us dying. <laughs> it's, it's like, ah, oh, yes. And if you died, then we would be blah, blah, blah. Do, where would we live? Would we live? And would we st- <laughs> just like, you are so cash with that. I'm not sure I'm okay with that. But, you know, uh, taking the, on, a, on the serious side of things, that is so beautiful to just know that there are all of these other people that it's not just up to me to raise my children. And I say that I'm one of the most responsible parents out there. I, I'm, you know, I, I have such a high standard that we bring in the, in the family into the quality of interactions, but it's, it's not enough, you know, especially when they get into the teenage years, I know that having six, seven, ten different adults that they really respect and they really care about what those adults say and what those adults think of them, it really supports in those teenage years when, let's face it, you know, the the consciousness, the the group thought of school in teenage years is don't listen to your parents. And and you know, there is a there is a very anti-parent energy. And look, sometimes that's understandable because, you know, the kids are trying to become independent and they're trying to outgrow those kind of sometimes bonds that haven't shifted in in line with the growth of the children. But when you have another eight people that your children really respect, I just feel like it's so valuable. And, you know, this, it starts early, it starts in pregnancy and it, 
something that you keep building that community. Mm, it's very, so, very beautiful. And and I would say it starts way before pregnancy as well and should be or could be, you know, a way a way of living that that yeah, is is not necessarily about pregnancy at all. It's just pregnancy and parenting is a part of that community. I absolutely agree. And you know, one of the reasons why we opened up our house in that way and felt the felt the impulse to have someone uh, live with us and, and to support, to enrich their experience of what parenting can be and what relationships can be before they actually stepped into that was because I was like, wow, if I would have had this before I had kids, if, if I would have been, you know, one of those young girls that came and supported us with with our parenting journey, then I would have had a completely different experience of motherhood. You know, I wouldn't have been so engulfed with all the different ideals and beliefs and pressures and pictures and expectations about who I needed to be and what I needed to do. And, and really it's that, that's a mind, it's a minefield. Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, everything that you've shared today is just, there's so much, so much gold to take away. And I think we could probably do another, you know, eight podcasts on different topics that you've talked about, um, <laughs> which we, we can definitely do if you're up for that. But um, Absolutely. So if you could wrap everything up today and give one piece of advice to two women about pregnancy and, their, and experiencing pregnancy and their journey through pregnancy, what would it be? Okay, so I think if I was to give one piece of advice about everything that I've shared and everything that that um that we've talked about today, which is helpful for pregnancy but also for life in general, it would be see the value of the white flag moment. See the value of having the humbleness to be able to say I can't do this or I'm overwhelmed and this isn't working because I think that that what that does is it comes back to a fundamental knowing that you can't do it, that, that the reason you can't do it isn't because there's a problem with you. It's not because you're broken or you don't have the skills or you're not good enough. It's actually because for you, it's it's not playing to your strengths or it's not it's it's not actually true for you even if even if other people are doing it it's it's just it's not working for you and that's actually completely fine you know some women are really good at multitasking i'm not it does my head in i like i'm a focus on one thing at a time person and so you know having having kids and having a lot of things to do at once really was difficult for me. So, you know what? I just went, that's okay. It's actually okay for me to not be very good at that because by virtue of me not being very good at that, I'm really good at the one-on-ones. Like when you've got my attention, you've completely got my attention. And, you know, I think we we lose value in comparison. I think comparing to other people is really one of the worst things that we can do. You know, even when it comes to morning sickness, I could say, oh, such and such breezed through their pregnancy and didn't have morning sickness. And I did, oh, that means there's something wrong with me. I've got heaps more to adjust. Um, you know, there's more that I haven't accepted in my life. But it's not like that because it's completely individual for each person because 
what you're being asked to deepen to and what you're being asked to step into as a mother is completely unique to your situation, what your purpose is with, with motherhood, who your children are, what that combination of and constellation of children is asking from you and you know what you're ready to step into and for me motherhood was actually uh, a huge step up it was it was you know I could have very easily cruised in my life and been a fairly successful person by society standards but if I had chosen not to have children this is for me personally not for everyone I I would have ended up cruising in life and I wouldn't have had the challenges and therefore the growth that motherhood has bring, has brought me. And yeah, so I think the white flag moment, the, the humbleness to be able to not keep overriding what your body or your or your being and your and your state of being is telling you, but to actually stop and go, okay, I'm feeling this not because there's something wrong with me, not because I'm incapable, not because I'm stupid, not because of whatever, but because this isn't working full stop for me. So there has to be a different way. And that is completely fine. Beautiful. Beautiful. And that then helps us to open up to letting people in and and getting over this thing of isolation and thinking that we're doing it on our own, which is what you, you know, started with at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. So amazing, Rebecca. Thank you very, very much for joining me and the listeners. Um, how can people find you and, and what is it that you offer? Can you give us a little bit that we'll have it in the show notes as well, but just give us a little bit of direction for those listening who'd like to get in touch with you straight away. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, one of my passions over the last three years has been to take everything I do on a one-on-one basis in clinic online so that more people can access it. So I've been uh, giving presentations on a variety of topics that we've talked about today, pregnancy, motherhood, um, just general well-being topics. And and I've created some online courses as well. So if people head to healthhealinglife.com, you'll be able to see that there's a whole lot of presentations that you can watch and videos you can subscribe to, as well as online courses. There's also some really great free stuff that I offer on my website and there's really something for everyone. So yep. And look, get on my mailing list, say hi. I, you know, I read emails that come in. Um, There's all sorts of ways you can connect to me, but going to my website is probably the best way and jumping on my mailing list. So, so let's have that one more time. It was health healing life. Yep. Health healing life.com. Awesome. Great. Thank you very much again, Rebecca. And um, I look forward to interviewing you more on these um, topics that are super supportive for all of us. My absolute pleasure, Sarah. And I think what you're doing here is so amazing. So yeah, well done. And um, I wish you all the best. You're listening to Follow Your Flow podcast with Sarah Harris. Subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and get in touch. All details on www.followyourflow.com.au slash podcast.